Well, it is a privilege for me to introduce to you one of my friends, uh, Kimberly, Reverend Kimberly Gladden. Uh, we spent some time in Mongolia together several years ago as a part of the national conference that was there in Mongolia that we support and had the opportunity to ordain a couple of uh, women pastors there in Mongolia. Uh, Pastor Kim is the director of church discipleship for the Wesleyan Church. So I know it's a bigger name, isn't it? Church Multiplication and Discipleship Department. There, I said it right. So she travels all over North America and, uh, and not only speaks, she was at a conference uh, last, this last week speaking in Orlando and now today, which is anti-Orlando in Spring Lake. Those are her words, not mine. And, uh, and then she leaves this afternoon to go to Georgia to speak at an evangelistic conference that's happening down there. She is a very busy woman. Uh, she's one of the most intelligent people I get an opportunity to sit with. She has had so many vast experiences, and you're going to get a taste of that this morning. But uh, she also, in addition to everything I've just mentioned, she pastors a church, a local congregation, has a love for the local church, uh, a ch an urban church in Buffalo, New York, which so she is used to this weather. Uh, but uh, and then in addition to that, her office is right next door to uh, Pastor Zach Coffin's office, which is a ministry in and of itself. He is one of our, those of you who don't know Zach, he was one of our uh, youth pastors, former staff member here who now also works at headquarters. So we are privileged to have Pastor Kim with us here today. Would you give her a round as she brings God's word? Thank you. It's just great to be here. Uh, just because I'm from Buffalo doesn't mean that I like snow, but I am used to it. So <laughs> I feel right at home. It's snowy and um, I'm walking through snow, so I'm right at home. Well, this morning we continue in the series that started on last week, uh, this Lenten series where we consider the seven words or sayings of Jesus. And in each of those sayings, you know, the, I love the word of God because there's so much, it's so vast. We just kind of chew on a little bit, a little piece uh, each week from a different uh, section. So we're going to do that today. Uh, last week, you uh, were meditating and, and listening about that incredible lesson on forgiveness that Jesus gave when dying on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And so today we're going to return to that same chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 23, and we're going to begin at verse uh, 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So we, we see right off of the bat, we see that there are two other men who are having the same experience of being crucified. Now they're having the same physical experience, not the, Jesus has other uh, things that are going on mentally and internally that you'll hear about through his other words. But at least the physical aspect, there are two other men who are understanding what is happening and experiencing that same kind of suffering and agony. You know, in my church at home, uh, one Sunday, I was uh, reading through this passage. We were having some readings, and uh, we had a gentleman in the congregation who... Um, and a gentleman in our congregation 
who had uh, special needs, and he was there with us that Sunday, and I, I was saying something to the effect of, and you know, there were, there were, there were two other men on the, cr on the cross next to Jesus, and he said, oh, and when he said that, I stopped and our whole congregation stopped because sometimes we're just, you know, we're just, everything's so familiar. We've heard the scripture before. We hear it every year at Easter. And we just, we're just kind of reading through and, you know, getting to the word of Jesus. But when he said that, oh, it just caused us all, oh, we stopped and we're like, yeah, there, there were two other, two other men there also who were being crucified. And we're going to see two very different responses to Jesus and I think that we can learn something today, what not to do and what to do by listening to those two other criminals that were there with him. And so the distinction, of course, was that Jesus was innocent. They were both criminals and they were both there for things that they had done wrong. But Jesus is there for doing right. Jesus, who had gone about doing so much good, healing the sick, feeding, raising the dead, healing, uh, all of these good things, right? Jesus is there as an innocent victim who is unjustly and unfairly there dying on a cross for our sake. And so when we come to this passage and we find Jesus on the cross experiencing the agony, experiencing the suffering, you know, we, we think of the, just the unfairness of it all. And he's there for redemptive uh, purposes. But Jesus has to suffer this public humiliation and this public shame. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's one thing when you suffer for something you've done, right? But have you ever, if you've ever been accused or unfairly had to suffer, it's, it's, it's just a whole nother dimension of that suffering. And there Jesus is. And we, you know, we have to understand that this is not symbolic pain. This is real pain. This is real agony. Sometimes this, the familiarity of the story and of the passages and us hearing them every Lent they, we just can kind of roll, we know what's coming next and what passage, and sometimes we just don't stop to sit. Stop to sit in the pain. Stop to sit in the agony. Stop to sit in what it must have been like to suffer like that. And so we have this moment to just, just kind of sit in that. You know, I know that many of you probably heard sermons or other teachings about all of the breaking down the medical aspects of what was going on while Jesus was in a, on the cross and the asphyxiation and having to lift himself up to breathe. So I'm not, I'm not going into that, but I just want you for just a moment, come with me to this place called the skull. And I want you to just, just imagine what it must be like for those three men that are on the cross. Now, two other criminals are there, and as I said, they know, they know some of the pain, but also at that scene, as we read through this passage, we find that there are others there. People are watching, people are, there. there's spectators there watching. Uh, the text talks of rulers who are there sneering, uh, the disciples must be thinking, hey, I didn't sign up for this. This is, this is not how I thought it, 
it was going to go when I left everything to follow Jesus. We're supposed to be, you know, throwing off the yoke of Roman and uh, oppression and ruling. And this is, this is not at all how I thought it was going to be. This is not where I thought this, this journey with Jesus was going to take me. Soldiers are mocking him and they're saying, hey, if you're really the king of the Jews, why don't you come down? Why don't you save yourself? So they're just taunting and taunting Jesus. And this taunt is picked up by one of the other criminals on the cross. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Now, I I want you to think about that. With all that he could have been doing with the last breath that he had, he's hurling insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah, he asked. Save yourself and us. And, you know, isn't that sometimes how we think? Now, you know, we're saying, well, hey, I'm not a, I'm a good Christian. I'm not a criminal. But, yeah, but sometimes we have that same theology, don't we? That Jesus should be like a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. And we should be able to skip over trouble. And we should be able to never have anything happen in our lives that, you know, isn't pleasant. If we're honest, sometimes we're thinking just like this criminal. Lord, if you're the Messiah, come get me out of this. Take me out of here. Save me. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus has power, and he uses it. I've, I've seen incredible instances of the power of God moving. I've seen times in my life where God has touched my body and healed me. I've seen times in my life I, I, I was in China, and, and I got a message that said, you know, they're coming to arrest you tonight. And I, that's not the message you want to hear. And I was like, tonight? A China? Oh, no. And I looked to God, and I can't tell the story publicly, uh, privately. I'd love to share with you. But do you know that God miraculously delivered me? Obviously, I'm not in a Chinese prison. I'm here with you. God, the power of God. So don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. When we talk this morning, because Lent is the one time that we get to talk about and acknowledge suffering and grief, and we get to lament, and we get to sit in that, because that's not a part of our normal culture. And so this thief on the cross is uh, just saying, you know, this is, you, you, you should use your power to, to get us out of here. Zap us out of here. You know, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> they just get us out of here. And that's, that's kind of how we feel sometimes. We want that, we want that happy ending, don't we? I was, I was watching a movie. Uh, it's an old movie. And as I was watching the movie, <coughs> excuse me, I had the sneaky suspicion that I had seen the movie before. But as you get older, sometimes you can't remember the details. So I couldn't remember what happened, but I just had this sneaky feeling I've seen the movie before. So then I said, stop struggling, Kimberly. Uh, just watch the movie as though you've never seen it before since you don't remember what happened anyway. And uh, that was much easier. But the thing that happened in this movie, it was a good movie. And at the end, um, there was this tragic accident and the hero died. And he didn't get, it was just at the point where he and the heroine, after years of crossing paths, they were just about to get together and live their happy ever after, and he dies. And and that's how the movie ended. And I was like so disappointed. I was like, ah, that's a horrible ending. I I don't like that. 
He, they, why did he have to die? You know, and so on this video, they had another button that <laughs> you could press, and it said um, alternative ending. And I thought, well, it's got to be better than the one I just saw. So let me press that button. And when I pressed the button and I watched the alternative ending, they backed the story up. They got right to that point of where he has the tragic accident. But he miraculously recovers. And he goes back and he gets the, the girl. And they marry and they go for their happy ever after. And I'm like... Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> I like that. I, that's how I want my life. That's how I want things to end. We want that happy ending. We want that, uh, th that you know, positive vibe at the end. I stand before you today, you know, as I call myself, an emotionally healthy, some of you might know the week work of Pete Scazzaro. I'm an emotionally healthy single adult that, you know, just, just, ministering out of my singleness. And Pete says, you just, you know, giving myself to God. If you're married, minister out of your marriage. If you're single, minister out of your singleness. But I wasn't always that way. When I was younger, I really, really wanted to be married. And uh, I happened to hear this testimony one day where this woman, she wanted to be married. And so she said she wrote a letter to God. And in this letter, she just poured out her heart to God, God, you know, I love you, but I don't know how much longer uh, I can keep serving you as a single person, blah, 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 blah. She went on and on. And guess what? God answered her. And in, within a couple of days, she met this wonderful Christian gentleman. They got married and went off to live their happy ever after. So I'm, you know, this is, this is like 20, 30 years ago. So I'm thinking, well, that's a plan. Maybe I'll try it. I'm going to write my letter to God. So I wrote my letter to God, you know, Lord, I love you, and just poured out my heart to God. God answered me too. You know what he said? My grace is sufficient for you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that's not, you're not supposed to say, God, you're supposed to say, yay, my daughter, I see thee, and, and within three days, a tall, handsome stranger will come into your life. My grace is sufficient. And I was like, ah. Yeah, just my luck, you know? So sometimes things don't turn out the way we imagine. And so this, this criminal here is, is saying, hey, use your power to make this go away. And I, I, I want us to stop for a moment because, you know, we, we stand in judgment. Oh, he's a, look at him. Look what he said to Jesus. But I, I want you to examine your own heart. And I'll examine my own heart. And then I'll confess that there are times when I, I kind of have some of that thinking too. Like, hey, couldn't you have spared me from this, God? Did we have to go here? Did it have to happen this way? Sometimes there are things that we are facing and face in life that we're like, man, I, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that illness. I didn't see that uh, family tragedy. I didn't see the, you know, was there some other way? And so before we, you know, they say when you point one finger out, four fingers are pointing back at you. So when we go to point at the, <laughs> that thief, yeah, it brings up some of our own attitudes. But there's another criminal in the story. And the other criminal says something different, and we can learn from him also. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are 
punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When we hear this man on the other side of the cross, on the other cross speaking, he is crying out. He is using his breath to reach out to Jesus. And can you imagine that he is recognizing what it feels like to Jesus to have someone recognize him when he is in this moment. He is recognizing Jesus through his pain. Jesus, we know, you know, maybe sweaty and bloody and, 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 and puffed face and all of those things. And here is someone who yet recognizes Jesus through his pain. He's got his pain. Jesus is in pain. The other man's in pain, but he is recognizing that even though Jesus is there on a cross just like him, there's a difference, there's a distinction that he's innocent and that he has power and he's recognizing that Jesus has power even if he doesn't use it to bring them all down from the cross. He's recognizing that there is a larger plan, the bigger stakes, that, that Jesus has access to more than just this moment and so he cries out. He uses his breath to say, Remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He is recognizing that Jesus yet has authority. He yet has power. Yes, he might be here beside us, but there's a difference. And he is the one that I am crying out to and making my requests before. And the Lord is, the Lord is moved by this recognition because remember, what else is happening? Insults and taunts and all of these things that are being said and all of these things that are coming to Jesus' ear, like, yeah, you should come down. Oh, you, you know, oh, you're up there now. And yet, then he hears this sound that recognizes, hey, I recognize you. I recognize your power. Jesus, remember me. I, I know that you have the power to remember me. Jesus, remember me. Reminds me of another time when the heart of Jesus was touched. Do you remember the story in Luke 7 of the centurion? The centurion had a servant who was sick. And he, he wanted to ask for Jesus' help. And he sent some of the Jewish elders, thought that they would be better received, right? Since they were both Jewish, sent Jewish elders to ask and make the request. And so they go to Jesus and say this, and, and, and it's, you know, in the, in the text, they start talking about uh, why Jesus should heal. You know, he's, he's rich, he's, he's powerful, he's well-connected, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, Jesus decides that he, to heal, the, to come with them to heal the centurion's son. And when they get almost there, they're nearing to the house, the centurion sends word out and he says this, he says, uh, tell Jesus he doesn't even have to come in my house. Tell Jesus that I'm, I'm a man under authority. I know how authority works, and I know that Jesus has authority. He said, I'm a man under authority. When I tell my soldiers go, they go. When I tell them do this, they do it. And, and, and all he has to do is just speak the word, and I know that my servant would be healed. And when Jesus hears this, here is someone who gets it, who gets who he is, who recognizes him, who understands 
that he has authority and power, who understands that he is able from a distance to heal, who understands that he is not bound by, you know, time and space. Here is someone who gets it. And Jesus says, wow, I have not seen such faith even in all of Israel. And so they go and they find that that centurion's servant is healed. There's something that touches the heart of Jesus that through, even through circumstances, this thief was able to see who he was, to have an understanding of, of the magnitude of, of what he could do, that it was beyond just bringing them down from the cross today, that it had eternal significance. And Jesus said to him, what, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus turns and uses his breath to bless, to confirm, to forgive, to invite into eternal fellowship this criminal on the other cross. So what does that have to do with us today? What does that have to do with your life and my life today? I think there are two things that we can consider and we can glean from this story. One is, can you still recognize the presence of Jesus through your pain and tough circumstances? Can you trust the larger picture of God? Or are you only a Christian when you have the happy ending? Are you only a Christian when it goes your way? Uh, you know, there's some people, it's, it's funny, as long as things are going their way, they are just the nicest, sweetest people. But when things aren't going, you see another sign, you're like, where did that come from? When things aren't going their way. But, you know, I ask, can you still recognize who Jesus is even when you're in a tough situation? Because if you can... All the possibilities that get opened up. The, um, I mentioned uh, earlier Pete Scazzaro. He's got a new book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Book. And he t there's a chapter in there he talks about uh, how we sometimes in American culture, we just rush past grief and loss. We don't want to deal with grief and loss. Okay, get over it. Get back to, uh, get back on your, get back on the horse. Let's go, you know. But there is something to be learned when we stop and we understand what happens in grief and loss. Do you know that psychiatrists can trace so many problems that people have back to unresolved grief? There are even shows on television. You watch that show, um, um, Hoarding, Buried Alive. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah. You watch their other shows, um, and, and, they, and they start telling their story, and they come to this point was it come oh well when so-and-so died or when I lost my job or when I lost my so so unresolved grief is at the just at the root of so many things and so sometimes during Lent uh this is a wonderful chance for the church to stop and seriously talk about help people walk through na navigate through uh, grief and pain and loss because we don't we don't talk about that a lot back in Buffalo we have a lot of 
uh, refugees in our community. We're uh, uh, a resettlement community, so we have a lot of refugees. And <clears throat> I got a grant to study grief across cultures because I wanted to know how are we <laughs> to respond to grief. I know, how, I know what we do in my church and in my culture, and, but what about other cultures? And I, it was a fascinating study. I learned so much. I thought of that now because one of the things I learned in speaking with the refugees uh, 10 years ago in, in, when I did my study was that so many times there's, there's unresolved grief because they can't get home to properly bury their loved ones or attend the one-year memorial of the death or the things that you would be considered a good son and daughter if you did. So there's so much that we, we need to stop and understand about grief and, and about, about loss. And so one of the questions that comes to us this morning is, can you still recognize, can you still see Jesus through the pain? When I was in seminary, there were uh, some exchange students who were at my seminary, this is about 20, 30 years ago, um, and two of the students had been in prison in South Africa while it was still under the apartheid system. And one of them began to tell me that he was in solitary confinement and he was so lonely until this fly flew into his cell. And he said he was thanking God, he was giving God thanks for that fly because he just talked to the fly, he preached to the fly, <laughs> just, you know, read the Bible to the fly. He just so appreciated and thanked God for the fly. Now, that wouldn't work for me because um, I don't like flies. <laughs> when a fly comes into my home, I, I try to, you know, they say talk to animals. I try to tell the fly, fly, listen. If you will come to the front door, to the front screen, I'm going to open the door and I'll let you out. But if you don't, if you stay in this house, it's all over. So uh, th that fly thing wouldn't have worked for me. But he was so, he was thanking God. And he was recognizing that God is here. Even though I'm in solitary confinement, God is here. I'm not just without God. And he was thanking God for sending that fly. And he was, they were telling me about another uh, colleague of theirs who he, while he was also in prison, that one of the things that just was most terrifying were the times where they'd come and drag you out of your cell. You didn't know where they were taking you and they would take you and torture you. And he was, here's what he was thanking God for. He was thanking God that he would have a dream each night before uh, they took him out of his cell the next day. Each night he would have a dream, and in that dream, he would be shown what the torture would be. And then he had an opportunity to, to set his heart and his mind and get ready, and so he knew what was going to happen. And he was thanking God. He could see God in the, his circumstances, being drug out and tortured, he could see God help. He, could, he was thanking God for his hand in helping him to prepare mentally. Can you recognize and see God even through your pain? Because when you do, it, it opens something up. Today, you'll be with me. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've got you. I've not left. You're not alone. 
The second thing is we ask, can you recognize, from this story I ask you, can you recognize people beyond their exterior or their immediate history? There was a, a bishop once, <coughs> Bishop Broomfield Johnson, I wish, oh, I wish there's so, so many great folks who've gone on to be with the Lord. I wish you could meet them. You can't. I can only tell you about them. But one of the things that Bishop Broomfield Johnson would say, he wrote me this letter and he said, Kimberly, he said, you, you can't count for God. And then he went on to explain what he meant by that, that sometimes we will look over because of how the per a person is dressed, because of, of, of their grammar, because of their country of origin, because of any, their political affiliation, their eye color, all kinds of things. We will look over the a very person that God might want to use. I was in campus ministry at the University of Buffalo and I was, I was getting ready to introduce my ministry and I was invited to speak in, uh, to a group of students and I'm looking over the group of students and I already picked out who I thought might be the responders. Sitting over in the corner, there's this, 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 this kid with just jeans ripped everywhere and, and a long earring dangling down to his shoulder, a big fro, and he's slumped over. He looks like he's half stoned. And I'm like, okay, he, I just, you know, write him out, X. And at the end, I give my appeal. Who, anybody interested in the ministry? And yo, Rev, <laughs> I think I might be interested. And I'm shocked and I'm embarrassed because I had written him off. Can we turn down the judgment button long enough to hear the faith cries from unexpected places like we hear from the other side of the cross? Remember me. Well, in closing, I want to say that some of you might be in some difficult circumstances in your life right now. Some of you might have some areas of your life where it really didn't turn out like you thought it would. It's not going exactly as you would like. I want to tell you today that Jesus is present, that Jesus has not left you. He's present to give you strength. He's present right with you in your troubles. He is present with you and he wants to tell you today what I'm with you. And so we're gonna pray in just a moment. We're just gonna just let us recall and remember that God is present. In fact, I'm gonna uh, ask if anybody would be so bold as to just help me say that Je Jesus remember me Ta the Taze community made it into a song and they just sing it over Jesus remember me when you're come into your kingdom would anybody just say that with me Jesus remember me Jesus remember me yes and when we say that you know what he says to us I'm with you I'm right here let's pray God I thank you I thank you that you are the God who sees us right where we are, right where we stand. You are the God who knows us. You know our disappointments. You know our places of discontent. You know our heartache. You know our yearnings. And I pray, God, that you would come now and just let us have such a sense of your presence, that you are with us. There's nothing we can face. Nothing can separate us from you, Paul said. So I pray the peace of God. I pray the blessing of God. I pray a deeper awareness of the presence of God. Come now, Holy Spirit, and breathe on us.
And help us to remember today, whatever we're facing, you are with us. And that makes all the difference. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.